I remember even Jared, our field, har- our field butcher processor was like, Hey guys, like this lady, she's, she keeps coming up to the bucket of things that are not edible that have like the gut fecal matter on them. And she is eating it. And we're like, Oh man, just cut her off, dude, cut her off. And so we cut her off and, and eventually, you know, we we're just like fully immersed in the event and the experience and the moment paying attention to everybody else and then like in the corner of my eye I see that lady like um like a scavenger like a vulture going over to the gut bucket and just like taking things out and putting them in her pockets and in all these bags and and we just left that day like dude this there's no way she's gonna live she is going to die and it's sad but she signed the consent waiver and the funniest part of this whole story was three days later Jared our butcher he's in San Antonio and he's at like a Costco. Costco. And in the parking lot is this lady just freaking blood all over her face, eating fucking three-day-old fermented bison innards. So gross. It's just amazing. So that's my story. I mean... Mad props. That's wild. So gross. Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. This is Where Hope Grows. Hey, everyone. This is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is brought to life by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. Friends, it is so nice to be with you again, yet again. And this episode is going to be absolutely legendary. If any of you guys read the Berenstein Bears books when you were children, or maybe you read those books to your children, you will possibly remember a character by the name of Actual Factual Bear. An Actual Factual Bear, he kept it factual. And today's stories, although at times they may seem like fiction, I promise you, These are factual tales of real-life events that have happened to us at our ranch. That's Rome Ranch. We're in Fredericksburg, Texas. I am joined by my lovely co-creator, my wife, Katie Collins. And the underlying story, the underlying theme that ties everything together here is bison. All things bison. Now, we've done a similar episode before, which was episode four. It was ranch stories, lessons, and wisdoms that we've learned from these beautiful animals. It was such a popular podcast that we wanted to do another iteration of this. And in this iteration, we're going to actually tell you stories that were challenging for us to process and to communicate effectively. We couldn't even consider doing that in episode four. But after reflection maybe some meditation. We decided that reliving these stories, although painful and traumatic, might provide some peace and offer wisdom. So we decided to do this podcast outside within the herd of bison. And these are the very bison that lived these stories. And so it was nice to have them participate in this recording and being a very captive audience. But because this was done outside... Well, you're going to hear a little bit of Mother Nature. You're going to hear some wind. You might hear some birds and some crickets. And then you might hear some annoying airplanes invading our airspace. And for that, I do apologize. But nevertheless, the underlying thread of these stories are so fun. And you're really going to enjoy them. So hang in there. So without further ado, here are some stories from the ranch. So we're going to tell stories today about some of y'all, the naughty ones and the nice ones. And these stories, 
bison stories from the ranch. These are real stories. They have aged us in certain ways. Some of these stories possibly have taken off years of our life, but then other stories maybe added years to our life. I so think maybe in it all general, balances out. It's always adding years to our life in general. There's only certain moments that decrease. But in general. In general. The bison bring us lots of life. Lots of life. These are our co-creators. We used to just call them our animals. But now we recognize that they're more than that. They are the architects of the regenerative process out here in many ways. They do way more than we do. Yeah, so we have a lot of stories today. Going back to the bison stories. I know we did part one. Part we're, one. we're back for round two. Round two. Uh, we felt like maybe part one was good for us. Like we actually shedded some emotional trauma and we could process some of our uh, nightmare content that has haunted us. And so we want to go deeper. We want to talk about some other stories that are even more nightmarish <laughs> in different ways. But we think you're going to enjoy them. So first one, let's just get into it. This is the one that... In part one, you almost wanted to tell. You were like, should we tell the story about the worst day of our lives? Or, and I thought you were saying the day that our child Scout was born, which was horribly insensitive. And I didn't mean for it to be interpreted that way. I just meant that was the day that you probably came closest to dying. And so I thought that was the worst day of your life. Also the best day of your life. Again, with the balancing. Like, I think the birth might have overcompensated. Yeah. We definitely had a release of really happy hormones when Scout came out and we got to hold her and realized you weren't going to die. But, okay, so this story, no kidding, took place on Halloween Eve. Spooky. The spookiest day of the year. And we go to bed. Our child, Scout, she's like, what, three years old at that time? Yeah, we go to bed on October 30th. 30th. Halloween Eve, and this is Scout's first Halloween. We all have costumes. We, we we built it up for her. Like this was a childhood experience. We live out in the country. We recruited some old people on our road, some of our neighbors, to like hit, like to be, be prepared to hand out candy to for a trick or treater. Trigger one trick or treater. <laughs> we were for sure gonna not eat that candy, but it was more about the experience. And so it was a big effort, and we were really excited about it. And we wake up Halloween morning. And I get a phone call from our ranch hand at that time, basically just saying the bison were commando. They were nowhere to be found. He went out to go feed them some hay. And he was like, called Taylor and said, oh, shit, I can't find the bison. And Taylor, like, I heard, I don't really know what I heard. I just remember we were sitting at our countertop. And you, like, looked at me and you put your phone down and you just, like, ran out of the house. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, the bison are gone. I had no idea what kind of day I had ahead of me and us. Right. So I just left the house. I, I, I had, I might have been wearing these boots actually, probably. So went down to where the bison were. They were in a paddock right by the river. And sure enough, they were gone. And it was spooky. Halloween Eve. Did they get abducted this was by Halloween aliens? Now. Oh, yeah, this is Halloween. Because it's the next morning. What happened? Did goblins come? did vampires suck all their blood like what is going on this is spooky were ghosts involved i don't know it didn't feel spooky it felt like terrifying yeah it was because like, yeah. we literally i had no idea where to start like where do we even start looking i remember you left i called and managed to figure out how to get two helicopters headed our way so we could get some aerial vision of our county I mean, we had no idea. We had no idea if they went south, north, east, west. I can't believe you knew two helicopter pilots. Well, I didn't, but I know other people <laughs> that know pilots. <laughs> we don't, I mean, our friends are cool, but we don't have any helicopter friends. Uh, our contractor's son yeah. right, drives helicopters. Hey, when you live him. in the country, people take helicopters. Sometimes yeah. it's easier to get around. Yeah. And so we're kind of like tracking, and I'm harvesting my inner uh, Tarahamara spirit i'm on foot i am looking for hoof prints for manure not really finding signs of anything and i'm looking across the river the pertinalis river the majestic river and i see the butt with my telescope and i see the butt of one big bull go right over the river and then out of sight and i was like oh my god they crossed the river (laughs) and so we just go and just for context once you cross the river you are 
depending on where you're at, 100, 200, 300 yards from the major highway. Yeah. Interstate highway, highway 290, speed limit 65. Yeah. It is uh, 65 it's miles an hour. It's, it's a real deal. A lot of, um, it's on the weekend. It's a tourist economy. So it's like this area is stacked with visitors from all over the world. And so we get to the field and there's all of our bison bulls are in that field. So at that point in time, I mean, there were only three. Okay. There was three bison bulls and I, I, I pinned them. I you, you did forced not, them to stay. You did not pin them. You uh, stood so they couldn't go to the highway, which was but scary. There was a, a fence that was completely open to the highway. Yeah. I, I held them back from going on the highway and then we built a temporary electric fence to contain them. You make it sound so easy. No. Like it wasn't just like, and then we built a temporary fence. It was like, holy shit, I found three of the hundred and whatever animals. I don't have anything with me except my shoes. I don't know where I am. Yeah. And when the bison get out, their demeanor changes. They go from a very chill group of friends, co-creators to like, Wild. They don't really yeah. want anything to do it. Yeah, rewild. Yeah. It's it's amazing how quick it happens. And so I was honestly terrified to be on foot in front of those bulls who were on a mission and having to hold them back and hope I didn't die. So, okay, it wasn't as easy as it sounds, but you met me over at that broken compromised fence on Highway 290. And then you like, I felt like that was the moment where the case, this is like probably three hours into the vision quest. This is, I mean... And it wasn't just so simple. Like, I didn't just show up. Like, we had to, like, call people and figure out how to get our kid taken care of while we just disappear for we have no idea how long. And then um, call the sheriff's department. There were four sheriffs out on the highway just in case, like, we found them and they were going to cross the highway again or whatever. Yeah. So it's... when I met you at that fence, I had all the equipment that we needed to rebuild it. Um, but I was also with the sheriff and the sheriff and I were like looking at the ground and looking at the broken fence and we saw some hoof prints and some poop and we were like, well, shit is where they crossed. So they could only be South from here. Scene of the crime. And we estimated that they crossed that highway in the pitch black darkness of Halloween night. We missed. Oh, and we were like in the process, we were calling everyone that we possibly could it on along that highway like yeah. it's all vineyards and so we were calling fat ass winery yeah yeah excuse me sir have you seen 140 you? bison <laughs> and my favorite part was when somebody was like oh why yes we did actually yesterday yep um, someone texted here? us a picture yeah somebody texted us a picture of uh the bison drinking out of the river i think around noon yeah. and then some people had a nice dinner watching the bison um, at the river at 6 p.m. That was cool. I'm glad nobody told us. That really pissed me off. Because it was like, it's very obvious that there's no such thing as wild, wild bison, bison free-ranging through the hill country anymore. Yeah. Historically, yes, but let's not lie to ourselves. That's changed in the past yeah. 150 years. So that was a little disturbing. Anyways, we get like all of our reinforcements. We get some country boys, the caliber of Koi, um, Christina, her, his wife. She's just equal to five or six city men. And Jake, uh, Leanne. Jake, Leanne. They're Kirk. like hybrid country city people. And then we call our friends Kirk. And uh, James. James. Everyone comes out. Everyone comes out to rescue to save the day. But first we have to find the bison. And so finally one of our, uh, I'll call him a scout. The role was a scout. He had this big ass. It was Jake and his F-350. And he's like driving around on all these uh, all private property, country roads and he finds the freaking bison herd. And so this is like five hours into this, us not knowing where the hell they are. And we all work together to just build this fence as fast as possible to contain them because they have direct access to go backwards on the highway 290. And it was a superhuman feat. I mean, it was like the Egyptians building a pyramid. It was just like that. And just like it. I mean, it was identical. Katie was obviously the the queen i was the pharaoh but we built this fence and, and we were little it was like a half a mile fence and we were probably a hundred yards from it being finished and the bison said uh-uh and they blew through that one small section and they were on the they were on the loose again and they were like sprinting full-on 35 miles an hour 
mm-hmm. into the unknown abyss. So that sucked. That was a little bit discouraging heartbreak. But eventually, you know, this is hours of chasing these animals on foot, going through private property. Um, the, the the sheriff's department was like looking up all the um, real estate records and being like, Mish, whatever, owns this property. Give her a call. We can't get on her property unless we call her. And so we were like, you know, trying to abide by all these laws while simultaneously trying to keep our bison from going back onto the highway. Yeah, it was precarious. It was sketchy. It, it was, was rough. A, it was like a dramatic movie. And so at he, one point we were on somebody's property and this guy and his grandson were hunting. Oh and boy. He was so angry at us. He was so mad. Yeah, that guy was rude. He was so rude. And I was like, is this not like the coolest day of your life? Instead of seeing deer, you get to see bison. And we were having this conversation. He was so pissed. Yeah, he was a he was a jerk. Um, but that was foreshadowing for many rude uh, jerks that we had to deal with in the future. But eventually we get them pinned finally to a corner. It's a 90 degree corner, two neighboring properties. It's high fence, it's net fence. And we're like talking to the sheriff. We're like, we got to cut this fucking fence. On the other side of this fence, it's just this development property. No one lives there. There's no business established. It's just empty land. This is the key to containing the animals. And we couldn't gut the fence. That's illegal in the state of Texas without obviously the permission of the landowner. The landowner was on the phone and he was talking to his neighbor. And eventually the guy was so frustrated and there was, it was so much chaos that the landowner just deferred the judgment to his neighbor and said, Hey, if you think this is the right call, I grant you permission. You make the decision. And I think that neighbor was like, well, fuck, I don't want him on my property. I don't want him going back on highway 290. If I say no, that makes me liable. And so he was like, cut the fucking fence. And we cut the fence in front of the sheriff. It was like so surreal. People, people get shot for doing that kind of stuff in Texas. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure there's like old laws still intact where if you for sure. cut fences or steal cattle, you are like just You're at the mercy man. of martial law. For sure. So that was, that was wild. But anyways, we cut the fence. We got the bison finally contained. And it was like a, a moment where we could take a breath. Like at least they're right here. We know they're right here. They're contained. They're not crossing the highway. Yeah. That was day one. Take a deep breath. That was a full freaking day. Still like, knowing they were five miles from our property. Probably like six o'clock at night. Finally got them contained. So we, yeah. um, But the thing about it was, it turns out there was that one cow, one dominant cow who mm. got a taste for the wild. And she decided she wanted nothing to do with us. And she was just altering the entire dynamics of the herd. Anytime an animal would try to cooperate or uh, I'll say like made the decision to do something that we wanted it to do that cow would step up and punish punish that one bison yeah 1623 it was a disaster so we went to bed that night being like hey we have to harvest 1623 first thing in the morning yeah like well you're skipping so much that's fine we have limited time you know i'm just hitting the highlights yeah so we real we are sportscasters with these (laughs) we wake up the next morning and it's just like let's go I felt like my soul was just already crushed, but we were running on endorphins to get this thing done. And first thing we did, right when sun came up, we went out to that property. Koi was with us, another country boy. They drove up with a truck with a flatbed trailer. On the back of the flatbed trailer was a tractor. And I remember Koi shot the animal, 1623, and then he drove his tractor off the flatbed without any kind of ramp system, scooped the bison up with the bucket, and then somehow used the bucket to prop his tractor and climb back up on the trailer. And it was like five minutes in and out, 1623 was about to be processed. That was amazing. That was literally like the fastest thing that's ever happened anywhere with any type of equipment or guns. That was unreal. And then just imagine like being a tourist driving, you know, going to your favorite vineyard and you see this like, kind of redneck looking truck with a tractor and then the bucket of the tractor is a dead bison. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with these Texas people? A lot of people come from other states like California. And um, so so it's like, all right, game on. Our decision that day, we had two, two options. We were either going to take the animals back through a neighboring property, cross Highway 290, 
go through one of the nicest vineyards in our entire region called Signor Vineyards, and then cross the Pertinales River. It was like a direct shortcut. Or we were going to build a working pen, and then we were going to put the animals on trailers and haul them back to the ranch. And we wanted to do option two. I mean, there, I didn't even see it as two options. I never, ever one time considered it as two options. The first option was never an option. That's like the most insane thing that I've ever heard in my life. Think about the coordination of um, having bison cross a interstate highway in the daytime and go through the nicest vineyard in the county. Well, there were people, there were people in our cohort who maybe temporarily went insane that wanted to do that. Yeah. And normally I feel like we're like very collaborative. We're like, Hey, we're a team consensus democracy rule. Let's vote on it. But I remember you and I were like, absolutely fucking not shut your mouths. Everyone who thinks that's a good option. We are doing it this way. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. We're the Pharaoh and the queen of Egypt. And, (laughs) and so that's what we did. And it was like a, another just superhuman feat. Like it was like when, um, you know, when man created the first airplane and flew into the sky. Well, we had to deconstruct the bison pens, load them onto whatever, rebuild them, which I mean, I remember the first time we built our working pen system, it took us a couple days. And this took us a couple hours. It it was over 100,000 pounds of steel that we had to move. Yeah, I mean, we were like really superhuman. Yeah. I'm actually... You're really impressed. That's why I said it was like the Wright brothers taking off for the first flight. Yeah. Defeating all odds. Maybe even like Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Just like it. Totally. Totally. (laughs) And so we built this working system and then we trapped the bison. Not easy. We had to get them all in there. That was like fucking craziest day ever. And then when we get them in there, they're just pissed off. We don't have a ton of time left. Not a lot of daylight. So day two. I think we brought like two loads of bison out of there and then day three we had to it was full on because we had to borrow bison all day we had to borrow one of our neighbor's animal trailers we had to borrow some of my family's animal trailers we our animal trailer held four animals and so that would have been i'm really bad at math a lot of trips our animal trailer is rated for four animals it held eight yeah it definitely (laughs) uh pushed its comfort level yeah it was not low stress stockmanship but nothing about this Vision nothing quest was low about stress. this was low stress, no, nothing. And so, you know, at the end of the day, we got all the animals back to the property. It was just incredible. And I remember the guy whose land that we were on for the most part when we built the pens, trapped the animals, the guy who consented to letting his neighbor uh, vote on us cutting the fence in front of the sheriff, that guy was the biggest asshole I've ever met in my life. And he just made mm-hmm. an already difficult situation that much more unbearable and miserable. He was so rude. He basically was threatening to sue us every five minutes. Um, and he was just hard to work with. He was not a good neighbor. On the first night, he sent somebody to check on us. Babysit. And watch us work. That was cool. And then the second day, he actually showed up and watched us work. Yeah, um, so we, cool. you know, like, I remember it was all done four days into this. I call the guy. I'm like, hey, we are done. This is the greatest moment of our lives. Thank you again. Sorry. We've said sorry a hundred thousand times, but sorry again. We really appreciate your, your patience. And, um, and we'll fix your fence. We'll, well, yeah, we'll obviously do all the repairs needed. And then James, who's taken kind of cleaning up that last little bit of mess, is backing up a trailer. James works at the ranch. He's our ranch hand, bison wrangler. And he backs into this dude's wellhead and water just shoots up in the air like the freaking geyser at Yellowstone. (laughs) Old faithful. And this dude loses his shit. And it's just exhausting. It's, It's like what was ending on a good note now has ended on the worst note ever. And this guy is cussing at me on the phone and saying he's gonna sue us, which he did. Mm-hmm. which was so unnecessary. And um, some people are just takers, you know, like he just like saw an opportunity to take advantage of another person. And he was like, I'm going for it. I'm going to commit insurance fraud and cl- make claims to things that didn't happen. And 
I like that he said that he was a taker. He was for sure. He was a taker, for sure. He was an extractor. Mm-hmm. And he was not a part of our community. And I'd say that was one of the biggest takeaway messages that I hope to leave our listeners with. And it's that farmers and ranchers already have some of the hardest jobs you could ever fathom. There's no 40-hour work weeks. There's no, um, there's no off hours. And things like this happen. It's inevitable. It doesn't matter if you have sheep, goats, cattle, bison. Your animals are going to get out at some time. And so if you live in a community with farmers and ranchers, you have to be patient and you have to be neighborly and understanding and supportive. Because if you're wrecking havoc on farmer ranchers' lives, that's just one other variable that producers could go without. Yeah. And people like people are nostalgic about coming out into rural areas. They want to see cows. They want to see wildlife. They want to see sheep. They want to see these open spaces. But the only way that you're going to maintain that ecosystem is through supporting farmers and ranchers and not being dicks. Yeah. It's like the written unwritten code where farmers and ranchers are a part of a community of neighbors that help each other. And so if you decide to buy a vineyard, um, in an area that's historically farmland, ranch land, you need to be loving to thy neighbor. Isn't that in the Bible? It's not like a commandment. I think so. So that's story number one. Whew. Well, I Halloween feel like we missed some part, one part of it that I think is really important. Um, so whenever we realized all the bison left, we, d- there was one, well, there were two bison that actually stayed on the property. Poppy. I remember. My absolute favorite bison of all time. And her baby. And I was so proud. And I felt so much love. And I was like, she obviously stayed because she would never leave me. She would never leave me. (laughs) It did feel like that. It really felt like that. And I was just so grateful for her and so happy. And uh, a week later, so it was actually like November 7th, we uh, found her dead in uh, another field after the bison had been reunited with each with them with the baby and poppy um which was obviously incredibly tragic that was horrible that was just that was couldn't our, have gotten worse like i said our favorite animal you, you could feed her out of your hands she was the only bison and honestly i don't know if that was a good idea but she was the only bison that we would comfortably get out of the vehicle walk up to uh, get on our knees and just touch her. Yeah. Well, about a month before the bison vision quest number two, um, she, one day we were out there checking on the water and she wasn't standing up and I was like, what's wrong with her? Went up to her as Poppy and I was like, oh my God, Poppy, what's going on? Why are you not standing up? And, um, I called the vet. And I'm like, Poppy is not getting up. I don't know what's going on. Um, And he's like, well, I'm in surgery. I'll be there in like four hours. So I hung out with Poppy for like four hours. And I was certain she was going to die. I was like, because when a bison is not getting up, it it typically means you're about to die. Because they don't really show weakness very often. That's a good point. Um, And... I had accepted. I had accepted it that day. Like, she's going to die. I'm going to be with her until the vet gets here. I'm going to today all my goodbyes. I just sat with her and cried and cried and thanked her. And um, the vet got there and was like, oh, she she ate something. Well, we tranked her, obviously. She ate something, and her rumen is really twisted. He gave her some medicine. Um, and... She got up and started eating, you know, like within a couple hours. And we were like, Poppy's back. And then whenever the bison vision quest happened and she stayed, I was like, oh, she loves me. But really it was because she was like dying. She was too weak. Yeah. When we did the autopsy with the vet on Poppy, you know, it's like a standard procedure. And they start with like the areas that are going to be the most obvious. They cut open the abdomen. They look at all the internal organs that are really good indicators of health and like everything was clear they couldn't come up with a cause of death and it's like 95 percent through the examination they're kind of like hail mary like well let's just look at her heart 
and they pulled out her heart and there was a raging infection where half of her heart was no longer functioning. It wasn't working. And the second half of it had been compensating for a month. So it was hypertrophied. Um, and so she died of a heart attack and that was real sad, but I think the sweet thing, let's end it on a good note is when we had our second child, Katie was pregnant at the time. She's pregnant through this whole vision quest. Can you imagine that? I can. I can imagine uh, that. I thought Ren was just going to come out like freaking deformed deformed and just like have the bison hose. She's going to come out crying and crying because of the trauma inherited from you. I thought she was going to be just wrecked because I didn't eat for like four days because it was full on. Yeah. So, but the cool thing is we ended up naming Rin, our second little girl, who's now a year and a half old. Her first name is Poppy. Yeah. It's so fitting. And she just inherited all of Poppy, the bison's sweet soul, literally just transformed, transferred from one body into another. And Poppy's uh, taxidermy head is now in Rennie's room. And I it's it. really sweet. She like wakes up and waves at her and tells her goodnight and <laughs> wants to give her her passy. I mean, since she was like six months old, she's looked at Poppy on the wall. Yeah. And then like, that's me. And yeah, I love it when she tries to give Poppy's head her passy. That's pretty sweet. Or her milk bottle. <laughs> she's so lovely. Anyway, so that's, that was, uh, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where that story went, how it ended, I didn't think it was going to end that way oh. but let's end it because we have so many other stories that we got to get to okay well i mean okay no you can bring it home if you got something really no, good I, I don't have anything to bring it home with i think the only thing there is just you know like it was a worst day of your life followed by another one of your worst days of your life but um i think the beauty of it is is like her her soul like really did i feel like transfer yeah it released yeah it, it uh and her baby's still out here. That's true. She lives th- on. And I think I know which one it is. Probably She the wasn't tagged one. at the time. Yeah, but I think it's the most curious, sweetest one. So, Okay. Let's I change think. gears. I don't know why this is the one that I'm most excited about telling today. Okay. But it was the story about the cult leader who came out to our ranch for a bison harvest. Mm. So, okay. I know. I feel like you're obsessed with this girl. It was just so funny. I mean, honestly, I think this is the best story ever. It's, it's crazy. You're going to think we made this up. So at all of our community harvest where people come out and we harvest the bison, you know, that's open. Anyone can come. Anyone can attend. We never know who's going to show up. It's always a really cool group of people because I think it attracts really special people. But um, when people come to these events, Katie sends out an email ahead of time. It's very detailed. Uh, you know, here's my phone number, worst case scenario if you get lost. But here's basically fail-proof directions how to get to the ranch. And you can always tell certain things about people who can't follow those directions. Mm-hmm. And can't even figure out... Well, if they like this, okay, so this individual cut to it. She went on to neighboring property, you know, drove through private property gates, obvious roads that were not public. She's in the middle of freaking nowhere and she calls Katie like 30 minutes into the event, upset, but also kind of out of her mind. Yeah, like I'm so lost. I just drove through this gate and this gate and I opened this one and drove through this one. She was literally like in somebody's rangeland. Yeah. I don't even know how her car actually drove back there i don't know how she put fuel in her her car <laughs> so finally you know we're like on the freaking phone with her it's so annoying to like we want to focus on the event the spirit keep it really beautiful for all of our attendees who have the cognitive capacity to follow directions and so this girl finally finds her way. Now everybody, anybody that comes to our ranch is going to be like, <laughs> fuck, I can't call him and say I'm lost because I don't have, because I'm cognitively capable, but oh shit. Well, if you, if you're lost, we will just throw you in the category of this lady. No. So she shows up and she just gets out of the car and it's very obvious she's living out of her car, which is cool. Like, you know, just nomadic lifestyle. Uh, and she tells us all about her journey. She's traveling across the country and she doesn't have a refrigerator. She doesn't have an oven. So she's basically cooking, well, not cooking. She's eating all of her food raw. 
and she's really excited to come to the harvest because she really wanted to take a bunch of bison on the road with her. I'm like, uh, refrigeration, eating it raw. Huh. Okay. Let's see how this goes. Uh, the other thing that she mentioned was that she was starting a cult. I don't remember that. I feel she like told me that. that <laughs> and she didn't call it a cult. She called it like an intentional living community. Mm. But there was like this element of it where you had to worship her and no. there was, you had to drink blood. No. No, it was crazy. Like she was like, I am going to buy land and start this community where we're all shut off from the outside world. And what does that mean that you got to drink blood? I got a blood drinking vibe. Okay. So, okay, whatever. That's cool if you want to do that too, by the way. Judgment free. Yeah, I believe in personal freedom to the most fullest capacity if you don't harm anyone else. As long as you're not drinking human blood. Or maybe human blood that was consensually given to you. Right? Moving on. Okay, so this... Okay, so we're, we do the bison harvest. Great. Everything goes well. It's a beautiful day. And... We are processing the bison, eviscerating it, all this like inedible innards, entrails are coming out of the bison. And this is like Christmas morning for this lady. This is why she came to the event. I mean, she is eating things that you could never imagine eating. Things that humans do not eat, like eating the glands off of animals, which are usually intentionally removed because they are very bitter and tough. Eating pretty much eating anything eyeballs eyeballs I, mean, I feel like there's cultures that eat all of these things to say that no human can eat them is like no 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 to eat the butthole okay <laughs> i mean she would have been like oh this bison had a pimple fuck yeah i got dibs on eating that pimple okay no she it was like She's next not level. like i'm gonna is there an infection in this animal i'd like to eat the infection i don't think so you are such an exaggeration. i'm an adventurous eater but I, but I remember even Jared, our field, har our field butcher processor was like, Hey guys, like this lady, she's, she keeps coming up to the bucket of things that are not edible that have like the gut fecal matter on them. And she is eating it. And we're like, Oh man, just cut her off, dude, cut her off. And so we cut her off and, and eventually, you know, we're just like fully immersed in the event and the experience and the moment paying attention to everybody else. And then like in the corner of my eye, I see that lady, like, um, like a scavenger, like a vulture going over to the gut <laughs> bucket and just like taking things out and putting them in her pockets and, and all these bags. And, and we just left that day. Like, dude, this, there's no way she's going to live. She <laughs> is going to die. And it's sad, but she signed the consent waiver. And the funniest part of this whole story was three days later, Jared, our butcher, he's in San Antonio and he's at like a Costco. Costco. And in the parking lot is this lady just freaking blood all over her face, eating <laughs> fucking three-day-old fermented bison innards. So gross. It's just amazing. So that's my story. I mean. Mad props. That's wild. So gross. It's just too bad. But, you know. The moral is what kills, what doesn't kill you. Makes you, you stronger. Makes you stronger. <laughs> she's probably, she's either like immune to all viruses and diseases or she is patient zero. Mm, that's like, a good point. Like COVID either started with her. For sure. Or she's fully immune to it. Mm -hmm. Not that like COVID's like a virus to be afraid of. I was just using that as a relevant example. Did you know that Katie is practically fearless? There's only one thing that keeps her up at night, and that is the thought of eating conventionally managed industrial feedlot meat. Ugh. So I'm going to provide you with the best resource, if that scares you too, that is to head over to forceofnature.com. They are the supporter, the sponsor of this podcast, and we would appreciate it if you appreciate this to give them a little bit of love and have regeneratively sourced, body nourishing, land positive meat sent to your door. Yes, that is land positive. I just made that up, but that's, I think that's how Force of Nature's meat identifies itself as land positive. That's forceofnaturemeat.com. And now back to basking in the sun with my wife, Katie Collins.
let's tell another story. Let's tell the story of the bison field harvest that went terribly wrong. Oh, so, I mean, we've talked about field harvest. I think you did a podcast on a field harvest. So these, the, the, the podcast made it sound so beautiful and amazing and like everything goes really super smooth every single time. But the truth is, is it doesn't always go super smooth. Um, shit can get ugly. Yeah. And it has maybe once, maybe twice. Maybe once at a community harvest. And we do everything we can. We take this so seriously. We lose sleep the night before. Um, it's as organized and as controlled as we can make it. But that's the beauty of the field harvest is that it's out in nature. There are variables in the environment that you will never be able to control. Um, and if you want that control in the system, then it's like you have to shift to that industrial uh, abattoir, that slaughter plant that's just mechanized and it's an assembly line mm -hmm. and it's all about efficiency. But we but even in, despise that system. Even in those systems, things go wrong. That's a good point. So. And um, so, so we're out here and we bring in a friend, highly trusted friend, who's an amazing sh marksman, freaking sniper. This guy has a room in his house that's probably like... The size of Scout's room. 50 feet by 50 feet full of guns. <laughs> yeah. It's unreal. Um, and totally trust him. I've gone hunting with him. He's an amazing shot. He can shoot an animal like three or 400 yards, no problem. And this day, we're out in the field. We have 40 strangers from the community coming out to watch this. Many of them, first time they will ever see an animal be harvested in their entire lives. It's already a very emotional moment. And our friend takes the shot and it's a bad shot, mm -hmm. which happens. It shouldn't happen, but it happens. And that bison ran around in this field for damn near 45 minutes. Blood gushing out of its nose. Which was and just so impressive her chasing it i feel like they were trying to like wear it out until it just collapsed yeah it was the most disturbing thing that i'd ever witnessed um and the worst part was i was completely by by myself trying to like a like hold myself together because i was an emotional wreck and then b i was by myself with 40 people that were trying to enjoy a bison harvest, watching an animal running for its life, essentially. Yeah, um, well, when, when the shot was made, the animal got knocked down. It, it hit the animal in the head, and we thought, great. And everyone kind of held their breath. There was a sigh of relief, and then it was like that animal stood up, which is just such an amazing respect mad respect and appreciation for how resilient these animals are and how strong they are and how much gift they have this thirst for life um, and that's what makes them wild animals you know like this animal damn near might have had a, a a pack of wolves just attack it and it was not going to succumb it was going to fight with every last breath for its existence and so People had a very different experience on that day and what they got to participate in and witness. And it was raw and it was real and it was very hard to watch, but there was a deep appreciation for it in a really weird way. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that put the experience into perspective was that, you know, ancient civilizations, many Native Americans, they would hunt these ice age thousand pounds animals with bows and arrows and spears. And we just saw an animal get shot in the head with a high caliber rifle. And you could hardly tell. And so it was just the perspective that hunting this thing on horseback would have taken 10, sometimes 20 arrows to bring that animal down. So it absolutely kind of calibrated what we think of as humane butchery, humane harvest in a modern context versus how it was done for millennia before that. Mm -hmm. So that was 
a, a very hard day to watch. I thought people were going to, not like they can leave us a Yelp review, but mm-hmm. I thought people were going to go straight up vegan. Like, uh, not ever eating meat again. No, I Bro think it made everybody sucks. that much more appreciative of the animal once we were actually, you know, breaking it down together. Yeah. It was very powerful. There, There's usually tears during these events, and these tears were different, but people had, like, the deepest empathy for that animal and what it went through and its end-of-life transition. I just feel like you guys, like you and Jared, and are just so much better at, like, talking things through that process with people i remember i was calling you and jared being like somebody needs to get their ass back here because i can't stop crying and i don't know how to tell these people that it's this is a part of the process sometimes like shit happens you had the worst job i had the worst i did not envy you yeah i was in the shooter vehicle katie was like all alone with 40 people who were just wondering what the the fuck fuck is is this supposed to happen (laughs) And I mean, ah, that was brutal for you. I do not wish I was there. But the thing, and I know people are going to be like, well, why didn't y'all shoot it again? Mm. And the thing is, because... Shoot a running bison. It was sprinting in circles around a pasture. It would not stop. And With other bison around it. It was never, never a good opportunity. The second it would stop, it would have 140 bison around it. Yeah. And it was chaos. There was nothing we could do. It was completely out of our control as Mother Nature reminds us daily. But this was a big reminder. Mm-hmm. And um, how did it end? It ended, the animal basically was exhausted, lost a lot of blood. And we were able to just take a shot at it. And it was a quick shot. And that animal dropped and that was the end of its life and then people got to come up and touch it admire it thank it say sorry um for how its end of life you know obviously didn't fit the script that we hoped it would um but then just move on to the next thing which is we have limited time to honor this animal through processing it let's fucking go and that was that was amazing to see the transformation and the change in spirit and energy. Mm-hmm. And like you said, people were even more appreciative and more grateful, had more reverence for this animal than maybe any other harvest we've ever had. Mm-hmm. I remember someone was like, I have to buy that bison skull. I was just thinking about him. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah. The skull was fucked up. Yeah, it was fucked up. And he was like, I absolutely want that. Um, yeah. That's that amazing. So... That you know that we'll we'll transition out of that story, a story of us, oh, having a terrible bison harvest. But then you want to talk about uh, mean murder, and peaches. Sure. Okay. I feel like you have a place in your heart for mean murder and peaches. So we had these. It's just a nice story because it helps understand the context of our breeding program now. Mm-hmm. So we used to have our dominant breeding bulls as these monsters. I mean, they were beautiful pieces of art, just like two times bigger than any other bison out here. Old, mature males, older, mature males, like six to eight years old. And they were just huge. They were, they were tanks. And when it was time for them to breed, when the females would go into estrus, it ended up, they spent more time, it felt like fighting for breeding rights than breeding. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't getting like that genetic diversity. It was like one or two dominant bulls were breeding all the females. Um, and probably missing females, leaving empty females. And so we had one bull named Peaches. And we named it Peaches because this area of Texas historically is like a, a bountiful area to grow peaches, part of the agricultural co- community. And, and then one day we went out to check the herd and Peaches was murdered. <laughs> you say it's so funny. It's not funny. <laughs> Peaches. Say like it's a mystery. It's so sad. Murdered. I mean, how could you murder a bison named Peaches? I know. (laughs) And and we were like, all right, crime scene. Let's explore. Bring the detectives out. Forensics. And it was very obvious who did it. There was one dominant bull standing over Peaches, hoofing the ground, wallowing. So rolling around on the soil on Peaches' blood. 
peeing on him. Peeing on poor dead peaches. I mean, and then anytime a curious, just innocent cow or a young yearling would come up to sniff, just what's going on over here? This is interesting. Peaches is on the ground. That big dominant bull would just try to freaking kill them. And those bulls, I mean, they, when the rut was on, they fought and they got nasty. And this animal basically died. You know, it might've been having a bad day. It might've sprained its hoof and it was showing a little bit of weakness. But the second that it showed weakness, those other dominant bulls took advantage of him and murdered him. Mm-hmm. So mean. And so we name animals. A lot of animals have, not a ton of bison have names out here, but Scout, our five-year-old, came up with a name for this bison who was the criminal, the convicted felon. And she named it... Mean Murder. Mean murder. I love that name. Mean murder. <laughs> mean murder. So mean murder was like on, um, not parole, on death row. Mean murder. <laughs> mean murder. Um, we can't have animals like that out here. And so mean murder was the next up at a bison field harvest. That transition into death was actually beautiful and perfect. Isn't As- it sad to think that we're like, we can't have animals like you out here, like, He's just doing what's natural to him, yeah, for him, you know? It's very true. I mean, be, bullying is a real thing That's that we point. have uh, created laws around. But, like, in nature, bullying is uh, an important process. Why is it important? Why do you think it's important? I think, well, with bison, historically, if a weak animal was in a herd, it would have made the herd more predisposed to predator ambush. Right. What's the saying? Like you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yeah. And in human society, for some reason, we decide that we need to protect our weakest link. And in uh, nature, they, for the most part, kill their weakest links. Yeah. And it's also interesting that humans can recognize that in nature, there is a certain element to um, strongest, most adapted, most resilient genetics are the genetics that get carried forward. Right. But in humans, it's like sometimes we breed the weakest, most fragile right. genetics. Intentionally. Which We're is like, oh, okay. a yeah. com- complete separation of mother and mother nature yeah. in our role within her, her bounties and her beauty. But that's a whole nother conversation. Maybe another one that we would uh, not want to do without talking about it ahead of time. Oh, pardon. <sighs> Woke culture is... They're ready to cancel you at any moment. All right. Yeah, I should get canceled by saying that bullying is natural. So it is natural. Um, it didn't work for our context, though, because, you know, honestly, the probably the one of the one of the ways that we would get hurt out here is if there was a bully fighting another bull yeah. and then they just lose sense of time and space. Yeah, and they knock into the mule, it flips yeah, it over. Runs you over, they don't even hit know. Somebody, yeah. I mean, I get Break it. It doesn't fence. work in our context. And same with, you know, animals that don't, that are that are mean. We always get rid of the ones yeah. that are mean because it doesn't work for our context. Or animals that can't breed. Yeah, totally. And so we ended up getting rid of all those dominant breeding bulls. And it was really scary. Uh, Bob Wesley, who's just, an amazing abundant source of knowledge. He's the head of the bison program over at Turner ranches. Those guys are doing it like bigger and better than anybody when it comes to the bison world. He told us, he let us in on a little secret where they are using two year old young bulls as their breeding class of animals. And that like blew our minds because two year old bulls are, they're not like super handsome and super like you look at one and you're like, that thing's pretty. But it's, it's not what you envision as a breeding bull. It's just because they're so young. Well, what's weird is I feel like once the uh, the rut began, they started transforming into studs. Yeah, they, they definitely changed phenotypically, morphologically, hormonally mm-hmm. into more masculine animals. They took on way more masculine traits. And it's, it's really interesting because these are half the size of our, as our dominant breeding bulls that we had last year and for the previous years, maybe even less than half the size. So like we can have more of them for the same grass that's needed to 
have one bigger bull. Like we could, it probably equals like for every three of these two-year-old bulls, we could sustain one eight-year-old bull. Bro math. Super bro math. But that's the spirit. And so we would rather have six, oh gosh, I almost did the worst math ever. Three more bison, four hoofs each. We'd rather have 12 hoofs on the ground versus four hoofs. Because then you get that hoof impact, baby. Trampling. Disturbance, positive disturbance. Putting that carbon in the soil, aerating, breaking it up. And so that's our new breeding program. And these young bulls in back of us, they're freaking getting it on right now. Yeah, and I mean, we'll find out if it works or not. I don't know if we... I just don't know if this is the year that we can be like, it didn't work or it worked because we've been in such a crazy drought and it's been so hot. And, you know, like other animals aren't breeding like they would. They aren't dropping babies like they would. So why would we expect these guys to? Gals. Gals. Yeah, it's very much a a production mindset when you expect your animals to breed the same every year and to gain the same amount of weight every year. Whereas a part of the regenerative movement, trying to look into nature for guidance and wisdom, it makes sense that on drought years, all animals in the ecosystem might have lower fertility rates because- There's less resources. Yeah, it's, it would be detrimental for the population to grow the population during times where it cannot sustain that population. Sounds like a human population. That's another thing's humans. That's interesting. Funny enough, they recognize that in a wild context, but then when they look at themselves in the mirror, they feel like they're omitted from that natural law. Yeah, for sure. So, um, wow, those are great bison stories. I had such a fun time reflecting on them with you. Oh, <laughs> it's always fun. One of these days, I hope I hope we felt like there's some happy ones in there because honestly, like just being with these animals brings me more joy than anything else out here aside from being with, with you guys, with my family. They sure are content right now too. They are, and that's a good sign. Uh, content bison is a happy bison. And so uh, let's just, let's just, you know, I'll just leave it like this. My favorite thing that we get to do with these animals is I love it. We don't do it as much as I'd like to, but I love it when we come outside at the end of the day and we just quietly sometimes get on the roof like this with the girls and we just hang out with a herd of bison. And it lifts my heart and fills me with so much, just the best vibes I could ever hope for whenever they're immersed in a flock of hundreds of birds. Mm-hmm. It's like that combo for me is, it doesn't get any better than that. It is quite magical. I was going to say the same thing. I feel like we've been reading each other's minds recently. Uh, like, you know, Scout on a, on a normal day will be like, I'll be like, well, let's go check out the bison. She's like, no, bison are boring. But if it's like in the six o'clock, seven o'clock hour, she's like, hell yeah. I'm going to ride on the roof all the way there. <laughs> Yeah. And I, and then like when we're like, all right, it's time to go. She's like, no, we're not leaving. That's funny. And I know there is an element of like, I'm not ever going to go to bed. Yeah. And I'm just going to milk this. <laughs> I love, okay, since you just brought up Scout, it's just it like kind of full circle, last thing. But I, okay, so when we talked about that Bison Vision Quest story, 1623, that was the cow that was just like, on a mission to destroy human beings and to wreak havoc on all systems. So when we harvested her, (laughs) Scout knew that we harvested her. And so every night when we ate bison for like a year, she'd be like, is this 1623? (laughs) And she was so pumped. And like when we had friends over, she would tell them, we're eating 1623 tonight. Yeah. And it was so cool that she made that connection, but it was also like, she had respect for that animal. That animal was powerful. Like I wanted her to be consuming the energy from 1623 because I was a bad bitch. She was a bad bitch. So I, I don't, I, not that I want Scout to be a bad, bad bitch. bitch, but I do want her to be a leader. We named her Scout. I want her to stand up in the face of oppression in the form of tyranny. We were kind of tyrants that day. 
Why? I mean, we're like forcing them to go into cages, jails, high fence, oh. trailers. They just wanted to be wild and free like their ancestors yeah. okay, for millennia. Okay, now I'm following. I thought you meant something else. But um, I, I just love that our children have that connection. And it's also interesting because people, I feel like they're, they get really weirded out. If, if you live in an urban setting, you're probably, the majority of people have never seen an animal die, yet they eat meat every single day. And they think for some reason that our events are catered towards adults. All of our field harvests are like, these are adult events. And we're like, no, no, no. Bring your kids. This is more important for a child to see this. Like, I would rather have a yellow bus full of kindergartners than adults show up for a bison field harvest. For sure. And they're not afraid of it. The only reason that kids are afraid of being apart and witnessing death is if their parents normalize that. Yeah. It's all socialized. Yeah. They have a natural curiosity um, and an abundance for respect of these animals. And it's it's so cool for them. Yeah. And their attention spans are short. For sure. Scout's good for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and then she's ready to like go play princess. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but that's it. So, hey, last thing, you guys come out to the ranch, hang out with Katie and I and Scout at a bison field harvest this year. We do them during the cool season. We'd love to have you be a part of our community and uh, celebrate these amazing critters that we have the grace to be, to be with today. That's all. The end. Farewell. Adios. Bye-bye. Okay, friends. I just got done re-listening to this podcast and editing it a little bit. And I just realized that Katie and I have the worst potty mouths when we're together. And for that, I apologize. But I want to add some context and some cultural perspective. I don't know what happens to your brain, but when you live out on land in the country and you work with animals and you consider yourself in any capacity, a land steward or a rancher or a farmer, your brain changes in a way to where you just cuss a lot more. And I am so terribly sorry if there was young minds listening to this podcast. And I am sorry to the teachers that are going to share sacred classroom space with our children. Please do not be mad at them. We were terrible role models. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. My spirit feels lifted. I have a weight unloaded from my chest. Why does it feel so good to talk about your trauma? Um, I don't know, but that's basically the foundation of the whole profession of psychology and counseling. So more or less, you just listen to Katie and I do some couples counseling. Before we head out, I want to share a review that someone left on our podcast. And it's from Lisa Marie Dean, who is a total badass. Listen to what she said. She says, every time I listen to an episode of Where Hope Grows, I am inspired, motivated, and talk for the next week to anyone who will listen to everything that I've learned. A great way to honor this legendary, awesome mammal is to learn about it. And Where Hope Grows pays mad respect to bison in an intelligent, research-driven, and poetic way. Well, thank you, Lisa Marie. I really appreciate your support. You're a badass. And the next time we're in a sticky situation out here at the ranch, I might just reach out to you and recruit you as a bison wrangler. If you want to connect and learn more about visiting our ranch, either having a private tour, coming to a public event, a community event, a community bison harvest, all of those events and dates are listed on our website. So head over to roamranch.com. That's R-O-A-M ranch.com, not R-O-M-E. Okay, got that? Lastly, head over to forcevnature.com. And I would encourage you to sign up for the email list because we pump out a lot of amazing content and it's super inspiring and it helps you stay up to date on when podcast episodes are released. So that's pretty nifty. That's forceofnature.com or roamranch.com. And lastly, some profound wisdom and insight 
from the tiniest bison rancher out here. Scout, my beautiful, almost six-year-old daughter, what is your favorite animal out on the entire ranch? A bison. Good answer. What about, what's your favorite wild animal? Maybe an antelope. I love them too. Why do you love antelopes so much? That's because they make fat, and I like otter than llamas. Oh, you're so wise, beyond your age. Now, Scout, I have to ask you a serious question. You're in a safe space. Can you tell me who says the most potty words in the whole house? Mama or Dada? Hmm, both. Um, you think it's equal? 50-50? I think it's just both. Yeah? You don't think Mama says more potty words than Dada? Maybe she said more. I would agree with that statement, honestly. Okay, well can I ask you, why do you think ranchers say potty words? Why do we cuss so much out on the ranch? I don't know. Do you like it? Yes. 